Hello, my name is Lauren, but you probably know me as Catherine Ross. I'm here to let you know that if you love our content and want to feel the same dread, terror, and jubilation that I do, then make sure to check out Lurking Fears when you head out to your next convention. With a great group of professional storytellers, Lurking Fears is able to weave stories that will haunt you and take you to the very edge of madness, which is something I know a little bit about. Now, while specializing in Call of Cthulhu, Lurking Fears also runs games from a variety of other systems, so there's something for everyone. They're committed to running heavy RPG adventures that are driven by the narrative and, of course, by the player's choices. So, check out their Facebook page and follow them to keep on top of which con they'll be hosting games at next. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Now, let's get back to the action and see what our Keeper Raz has in store for us. But, if history has taught us anything, probably gonna be bad news. You're listening to a 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast titled Cthulhu in Cairo, brought to you by the Bardic College. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to the show to receive notifications as our future episodes release. You can visit us on Facebook at the Bardic College. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, I'm Joel Lee, the voice behind Jack Cavendish and the once Sid Poulter. Tonight, we're talking out of character about our characters through the big moments and turning points our story encountered during the last year. We'll cover the 12 best moments of our show, choosing a one month to discuss across the group. So uh, with that, let's jump right in. The 12 best moments of 2021, January. Catherine and Sid's first meeting with Arturo, but it was also the introduction of the well later that same month. This one's a huge toss up right out of the bag. Any thoughts on which moment was the more iconic? Let's start with the amazing Catherine Ross, or as we know her, Lauren. Hey, Joel. Thank you for starting with me. So honored to play a part in January's big moments from 2021. Meeting Arturo was creepy, but my God, the well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. The well drove the story. I mean, the the other was really yeah. creepy, but the well drove the story. What uh, what about you, Scott? What do you think? Well, about? I, I mean, that that's one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest, uh, you know, like like uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, um boy yes yes scott you speak um the uh scott you know, speak well scott speak well when john asked into the well you know who's Car- caravaggio and the well responded matthew it was oh yeah I mean, it, was, Insane. it was it was an iconic moment i remember my scream was just like i actually shrieked and then yeah. you know raz pulled his typical and that's where we'll end it. Yep. And I know, like, right there. And we're like, no, 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 no. Oh, cliffhanger. Wasn't... That's the word I was looking for. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He also wasn't prepared for it. Like, I talked to him after the game, and he's like, I did not think Scott was going to go down that road. And I couldn't come up with a lie, because it's obviously a well of truth. So he had to reveal that big, big moment earlier than he thought. But God yep. dang, Scott, yeah. that was, like, brilliantly... Oh, that really, was really down. <laughs> yeah, so I think stuff, I think we beautiful. all agree. The well, I think the well, definitely the the skin suit, and not only just the skin suit, but the response of Arturo's sister really, really just creeped me out, and I felt so bad for Catherine. But at the same time, that well, man, that drove everything, and that that was such like a boop, left turn. And I remember talking to uh, Bruno about it and saying like, well, "Why did you just give it away? What you know? Why didn't you sort of?" you know, obfuscate or, or push it to uh, a direction. And he was like, I don't know. I thought about it. And then he just thought, nope, just going to give it to him. 
just gonna and it was man it was that was probably one of my favorite plot twists so far because it was just like like a hammer on the head really hard i mean what a month though to pick between arturo and and everything happening with uh the encounters with him in the well i mean that was a legendary month yeah a legendary month of emotional turmoil for Miss Ross. <laughs> Man, was, Catherine just I, got it. I mean, yes, Faye got shot and the thing with her dad. Yeah. And I still consider Catherine the whipping post of Venice. Hmm. <laughs> That's entirely possible. I never thought about it. That it's a horse yeah. race. I it's mean, a horse I mean, race. I think I'm a close second, but yeah, you really, you really went through it. You're the whipping post of a completely different part that's going to come up in another month. I mean, if this is like, if this is like too revealing, we can edit this out. But wasn't that Venice month, the month you where you were like, oh, I can walk away from Catherine if like X, Y, Z happens next or something like you were seriously considering leaving as Catherine at that month. I thought it was, you know what it was? Listeners, remember that, like, ship back when we traveled in time? Raz gave you an out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was I was given a little, you know, golden Willy Wonka ticket to just, like, leave. <laughs> I've got a golden ticket. <laughs> to get the hell out of here. And nobody and... would have blamed you because, I mean, you just went through so much. I know. And then Nepal. <laughs> We've really been emotionally invested in these characters. Yeah, and when you get so emotionally invested you're you're plugged into the story and all you're doing is thinking about how your character is legitimately reacting and living through these experiences and you've got a you've got a threshold in mind you know there's an emotional threshold uh, you know maybe maybe she gets re-steeled so to speak and and comes back stronger but maybe at a, there's a point that's like a turning point and to walk away i respect it i respect it you know you know the, that that was a possibility I think it makes all of this that much more real that that was even on the table. I agree. And I will say that, uh, you know, I've been gaming <laughs> for most of my life and um, which is, is considerable. And um, I, in this game, it's amazing how one minute, you know, at one minute, Mel is Faye totally invested in Faye. She is Faye, right? Lauren is Catherine. You know, you are John Schooley. I am Sid. And then the next minute we're like, well, I don't know what this person would do. but And it's like, literally, I know for me, when I would go from Joel to Sid, literally I did. I was Sid. I thought as Sid. I had, devo- I had evolved this character in my brain. He had a whole mode of how, how he acted, how he reacted. He had a code that I had built up, which was sometimes similar to myself, but in many ways very different. And um, I think we all... It's really amazing that this show that everybody is so invested in their characters and that we have this ability to go in and out of those characters like that. Totally agree. Piggybacking off of this excellent thought spiral, I love going back and listening to like original like first 10 Cairo episodes and then comparing them to what we're doing now and what is currently being recorded. The, the descent into madness that poor Kate is undergoing it's I used to be like chill. Oh yeah. Oh no. She is you've done a wonderful job. Thank you very much. Of I... Just going and I know we've talked about this before about I'm like, mm-hmm. is that intentional or are you just losing it? Because it's... she really went I've... from being cold, distant, but controlled to slowly just spiraling out of control. I've really sometimes it's not the decision, the overarching like path of the character is intentional, but in the moment sometimes I'm just panicking. And yeah. it's like yeah. ah and it, that sound 
is all that goes through my mind, which is what comes out. But it works because she yeah. is going crazy. Well, and honestly, you know, where we're at now, where the only two original members left are are Faye and Catherine, right? If you listen to Faye and Catherine in the very beginning episodes, and then you listen to them now, they're very different people. And oh, I yeah. think that investment that we talk about is part of that because as people, we grow. And in the case of this story, my God, the things that we've been through um, since this started, that they're just so different. They're, in some ways, you can hear the, how tired they are, like, Christ, not again. And then, <laughs> and yet, yet they keep going, you know? So it, it's like what Scott was talking about. And each time they do get up and they do move on. And sometimes I'm like, I honestly can't believe they don't just get in the car and say, like, we're going back to England. This is, I've had enough. Yeah. It, you know? Where's my goat farm? Damn it. Where's my goat farm? All right. Well, on the goat farm, let's put the goat farm. Let's move on to February. February, the month Catherine was forced to take on the role of a witch and literally wear her skin. Definitely a highlight that was and is still talked about a lot to this day. Thoughts and reflections on that ghoulish event that you were forced to relive, not once, but multiple times, which freaked me out. And Sid just wanted to like, do it for you and take it all away. And it was such, such a horrible thing just for him. I can't imagine um, how that was. But I want to ask someone who wasn't that person, because the obvious thing would be to go back to Catherine and say, like, how did it feel to wear the skin? But I think let's go, let's go to who played Aveline to Kayla and see, like, what was your take on all that? And the fact that she did this, that we witnessed all this, not once, but multiple times, and how that moved the story. Wow, this is a very loaded question, but I have to say that this was probably the moment that anything magic woohoo stuff, like what John did, what Ella is now doing as the new character coming in, that's this is where Catherine really was like, nope, magic's all bad, magic's crap, what is this? Like, this is the kind of stuff that you admire? I mean... The fact right. that it had to yeah. be her and no one else could do it because she was the one with the curse of Aeolus and had that bond with the thing, I think that really added the horror value and the shock value that made the narrative so crazy as it was. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, Lauren, but that was like the fact that you had to do it twice only traumatized you more. And then the screaming, the way that the Raz just made the ah! Like that screeching noise every single time that this ritual happened. Oh, I, I think this oh, is yeah. a chilling moment that listeners and us will remember. And this is cliche, but remember for the rest of the campaign. Like this is, it was nuts. It was, I consider myself a very empathetic person. And the idea that Catherine or myself, whatever, was causing another creature that much pain. That's what was most uncomfortable. Like, why am I doing this? This is terrible. Not to correct Kayla, but Catherine, it wasn't the AWOS curse that made her have to put the skin suit on. It was I happened oh, to me. be there. No, it, no, it's okay. Because yeah. at one point, if you, you fit, remember... Right? Well, we were the idiots that went there. She and we, I were, we were the, the idiots, idiots that, that went. Said, and then I said, yeah. Yeah. I said, wait, wait, I'm actually the biggest woman. Maybe this isn't a good idea. I'll, I'll tear the suit. Yeah. Yeah. But then... It's like, okay, that's what Lauren would do. Lauren would paw it off to somebody else. Catherine would not. Mm -hmm. She would, you know, be tough as old boots and just stick it out. That's true, because she were given the option to push it off to somebody else. And, I, yeah, and, it didn't and feel right. As tempting as that was, you didn't do that. So what are your thoughts on that, Mel, that 
she could have passed it off that you could have been the skin suit girl and yet she took the bullet well as Faye, when when i heard when we when you were explaining everything when you came back and when we had to do the ritual again i think i remember saying like why can't i do it like she already did it once let me do it like let me take some burden and it was like no she did it originally so she has to do it again and just i think that for Faye, like that really warmed her heart but also made her really sad for you that you had to take on this burden but it's because you didn't want any of us to suffer and i think in that moment i was like Catherine really does care you know she might call me an idiot sometimes and oh, she yeah. might you know she might be a little abrasive but she cares well i think that was that was the magic that sid and Catherine always had is that sid was such a damaged person that he understood Catherine, and he understood that that hard shell was a defense mechanism. And and I think that that's why he was sort of her protector. You know, what I, w- I want to find out is, Scott, you and I had no chance of wearing the skin suit. Yep. I felt a huge amount of guilt that I had to stand there while she did it. And I couldn't like just grab her in my arms and, and run her away like I did with Faye across that bridge to save her. And, and it just ate at me. How did it affect you? So it's interesting that you say that because John felt a huge amount of guilt as well, but it wasn't about Catherine. It was about the lady in the box because he fully saw her as a victim, uh, you know, a, a tortured victim of Arturo's. And, and here we were using her and causing her pain and causing her, you know, torturing her, so to speak. So here's this, this tortured creature in a box for centuries and we were just sort of adding to her pain. And yeah. that was John. John was kind of conflicted because he, he had that guilty feeling, but he was also enthralled with the, you know, what was going on. He was watching very closely every incantation, every process that was going on. Cause that was when he was really kind of starting to ramp up into his, into his spiral. So, um, so it was an interesting time for Schooley. Yeah, um, I had the same reaction, Scott. Like, I remember saying to, like, the group, it's like, well, we got to kill Arturo now and save this poor woman. But we all, well, the majority of the group was saying we kind of need this to work. So no Eveline, no thrilling heroics. And that hurt her so much. And that's, it just messed with her head to the point where it's like, as somebody who spent her life trying to help the little guy, trying to stop people like Arturo from abusing their power or abusing other people and seeing a woman and not just, I'm going to pull the woman card here. That was a fellow woman at one point, even though she was skin, but true, God, true, very true. God. Yeah. <laughs> she, you know, I, I think it, it's like I, she lost I, a bit of her thrilling heroics a little bit in that because she felt so, awful about it i mean no offense to Catherine's like plight but it was just hard seeing that victim i mean there was lots of plight to go around right (laughs) oh yeah you know what it makes me think of is um after what scott said it made me remember something when we first went to that house and we were doing that creepy walk down endless stairs and i'm thinking we are never getting out of here and we kept going down and down i just remember the extreme empathy that John had for the woman in the box. And like, I wasn't really sure what Sid wanted to do. And I was like, do I steal myself against this and harden myself and play the whole, I've seen war and I've seen this sort of stuff. And I wasn't really sure what to do. So I sort of went that way. 
which, uh, you know, was what it was. But it's funny that you said that, Scott, because you were probably the most empathetic person for her plight down there, vocally anyway, when we were in there. And he was so vicious to her, Yeah, you know, as she was begging and those things. Oh, he was a monster. Just a monster. So let's move on. I'd say let's move on to something uh, nicer. But sadly, we're talking about uh, Italy and Venice. And I don't (laughs) think that there is a wonderful, sweet, touchy moment there. There's a lot of great moments, but I don't know that any of them have flowers involved. Let's talk about March, a big moment for Abilene and for the whole crew. It's Baveglia, it's Dr. Malfucci and Arturo all at the same time. And those wonderful plague doctors. We've talked about Arturo. We've talked about the Arturo fight and what that was. I want to talk a little bit about Mafuchi, about the fight that Abilene had and that flight from the house, what went through her head her getting it done where we were all really peeved at her for taking off. And I actually let her go because I thought she's just going to, the group's going to disintegrate. She's got to go whether she dies or whatever, she has to do this. So Kayla, what, what were you feeling and, and what are your thoughts on that, that event that you did? Would you change anything or did you like how that played out with Mafuchi? I loved being, obviously bringing up the thrilling heroics again. Like I loved being that, for a hot minute because Germany we couldn't really do a lot what with the Nazis (laughs) not the pre-Nazis I'm sorry not the Nazis yet um but in this time period of saving the kids and the doctors and everything and her doing all the solo stuff it was a really interesting moment and I say this with love for the group because we have all these different kind of worries in our head when I went off to fight Mafuchi nobody thought twice even though he was the big boss And it's like, oh, well, that's what she's good at. But I'm also good at doing other things like saving people. And it was a bone of contention for Aveline. And she felt like she was like, oh, well, I'm not about to be used as a pawn or a playing piece. So I'm going to do what I want. And that fight. Oh, God, I remember it being so dramatic and me sneaking through the house while you guys were undergoing a siege. I mean, I don't know. Like, I wasn't there, but I was listening to it. And I just... The panic of not having your gunslinger there i'm not to, not to sound like cocky or anything but that must have been crazy i don't know you, you know it's funny what you said about feeling like you were just sort of chucked in mafuchi we didn't really give it a lot of thought and i'd never really thought about it that way so it's great to get those thoughts what did you think mel now that she said that what were your thoughts at the moment when she left and she went there and did you really did you think about what she was facing or was it just being peeved that she took off I was just a little bit annoyed with her for taking off because it's like, you know, Aveline was always, she always just went off, but that was also what she excelled at. That was what she was good at. She was good at going in places and getting things done and getting out. I just remember like as Faye that whole time, I was just worried about her. Like, I think that I knew that this was something that like she had to do and she needed to like go off. And I don't think that she would have I don't know, Kayla, would you have accepted any help if, like, because I remember, like, as Faye, I was like, look, I'll go with her if you want somebody to go with her so we're not all by ourselves. Like, Kayla, how do you think you would have felt like that if, you know, one of us had gone with you? Do you think it would have helped you or do you think you do better as Aveline on your own? To find the kids, I would have accepted help because it's another pair of eyes. To lose... Like, to go after Dr. Mafuchi, like, the guy who was, like, taking control of the plague doctors? No. It's because in her head, she can handle herself and she can take on a lot of pain, a punishment, 
for herself, but protecting someone else in the mix, it always is a wild card. So she would have appreciated it, it, like the gesture, but at the same time, she'd be like, no, stay out of my way so I don't worry about you if you get grabbed. Because the minute if he got his hands on you and said, drop the weapons, she's not going to try to be funny. She's going to put the weapons down and then you both would have died anyway. So... That's you know, I think it's funny. I, I think that that scene and that ending on Proveglia was the event with Aveline that helped me buy into her character. It helped me to finally go, okay, this is who she is. Because before that, she wasn't really, yes, she was a part of Germany, but I think she's very right in that it was very truncated. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of, we're mad at her for lying. We're mad at her for this. She's holding all this stuff. She's keeping this stuff in. And there's all this trust and, you know, it's really hard in any game or anything you're playing. When you break people's trust, how do you regain that trust? How do you get the buyback, right? Which is the only way you can move forward. And for me, her buyback, while I was irritated that she was taking off and I made the decision to let her go, as it's happening, I'm thinking to myself going like, this had to happen. It had to get done. But her passion at those kids and not leaving those kids behind, it for me, it spoke to this part of the character that she had not revealed to us that was struggling with this sort of inner pull of the character, if you will. And I, I really, after that, I really liked her. It really was the thing that helped me buy into that character. What do you Aww, think? Uh, oh, yeah, I totally Scott? agree. I totally, totally agree. I mean, really, if you think about it, um, we didn't know Aveline for like a chapter and a prologue, you know, I mean, we, we knew fake Aveline as she was keeping her real self kind of pulled back and, and still unrevealed. Um, So the Aveline that we got was only sort of like partial Aveline as the narrative was building. So, so Venice was really us learning who this person really was and really is and really is all about. Um, And I agree. Absolutely. That's on the Island. It really congealed. Like, remember that scene, Catherine or Lauren, when I shoved you down an alley so I was the one being chased? Again, huge character moment to reveal because it's like she's never going to let anybody else take the hit. Like when we were being chased by the plague doctors, you mean? Yeah. 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 Like she's like, hey, like assholes, follow me like your mothers are whores. And she managed to get out of the way because she knew she could take it. But Catherine, granted, Catherine is no joke. Like she's no slouch. It's just Evelyn's head is like. At the end of the day, I'm the one that's run from the cops before. Yeah. I know how to disappear. I know how to defend myself. But if Catherine gets grabbed, who knows what's going to happen? Like, she I, she can't yeah. handle torture. Can she? She doesn't know. It's too much of a wild card, which is why mm-hmm. she constantly was doing things surreptitiously, getting the info, bringing it back and saying, like, look at me. I did this. But then it was brought with, well, you lied. Well, yeah, but focus on the good part. <laughs> Catherine, <laughs> Catherine isn't mad you pushed her in the gondola, by the way. I understand. Like, <laughs> I don't care that you shoved me. Aveline becomes the story of what might have been, because as we go into as we go into Nepal, you know, we're really starting to learn more about her. And then, bam, we're hit in the face, which is this tragic death, which really yeah. told more about her in the way that she died as well. All right. Peace it's, princess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really think Venice, that whole leg of the adventure so far was probably the biggest turning point we had in that a lot of characters really blossomed. A lot of characters. That's where John goes from pretty boy schoolie to this slow descent into madness, you know, and um, 
where he starts to change and there's small changes at first. And, and really, you know, it's the beginning of, of what Scott turned into what I be, thought uh, initially was going to be sort of a shallow sort of character. And then I really sort of loved that, you know, devolving into madness angle. And I really thought that that's where like Scott was just like burning it, man. I just really loved that. And I loved all the bad choices that he made. Um, but let's talk about now the one part in April. April is the one part of the adventure that I never wanted to do. Sid absolutely never wanted to do. Pissed me off to no end, but I did it because Sid was that kind of guy. It's the Abbey of Thelema. This was a huge series of sessions that ends in a very dark closeout to our Italian leg of the story. And there's nobody else that can start off this conversation with Faye. So why don't you talk about Thelema? So you mean to tell me that you guys didn't have as much fun as I did at Thelema? I was so upset when I missed that because of some weird scheduling issue. I was so upset. Oh, I think, think Schoolie kind of liked it. Oh, I bet he did. <laughs> you enjoyed oh, Thelema? Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> A man was turned to pulp! It, 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 was, um, it was an interesting time. I mean, look, I know that we all weren't happy. I know that I wasn't exactly happy with how oh, things no. ended. Yeah. But I mean, it's put yourself in Faye's shoes for a second. So her whole background... Her mother dies when she's young. She dies when she's 10. And Faye is 27 when the story starts. And it's always just been her and her dad. You know, never her grandparents died when she was young. No aunts, uncles, cousins. It's always been her and her father. So when she gets to Italy and she finds out, what do you mean my father had a daughter with another woman while he was still married to my mom? What do you mean this half-sister of mine has some power that I'm supposed to inherit? What do you mean she got shot in the face in front of me on a bridge? It's And what do you mean my father now wants to remove me from the story and bring me back to New York so I can be the docile daughter that he has never wanted before until now? Yeah. So It's, it's the big lie life. It's the big wake up where you find out it's all been a lie. And I remember I kept thinking it's the mirror cracked. It's like she's breaking. She's slowly breaking in that... In that abbey, at that moment, every she finds out that everything that she knew or she thought she knew was a lie. It was yeah. so sad. If you know, what's funny is as a player, I wanted to hold both Faye Dawson and Mel. I was just, I just felt so bad because it was just like, who wants to ever go through that? And I agree with you; it was phenomenal for the game and the story. Mm-hmm. Holy hell, for for a character, what a painful thing to go through. It was the most I've ever been tested as a player before because I've I've played some I've played some like, you know, sad characters. It's like, oh, dead parents. Oh, sacrifice. You know, those kinds of tropes, but never something like this. And the way that I was playing it, because I as Mel, I have a very great relationship with both of my parents. Both my parents are alive and I love them both. And I really was just like, you know, thinking it's for Faye. It's her dad is all she had left. And I remember like when Catherine said do I have a clear shot on Dawson? It's like Mel understood. Yeah. The man is suffering. It's he's in the floor, but for Faye, it's that's the only person in this world that I have left. That's the only person that I love. It's, and it's, you know, it's a child with a parent, right? It doesn't matter how bad they are. You're still the child. Yeah. It's, you know, a few months ago we had a few months ago, I was leaving to 
go to England and I hugged him goodbye in our Brooklyn apartment saying, I'll see you when I get back from Egypt. And now we're in this weird abbey and I find out all this horrible stuff about him. And yeah, yeah it's so it, I think that it's something that needed to happen because yeah. she needed those answers, but Jesus Christ, did that hurt? Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. you know, I think like Faye, when I first started playing her, it's, you know, she's the goofier side of me. I call her the gremlin side of me. You know, Mel is, for those of you that are into astrology, I'm a Capricorn and it fits. But Faye is very much just like the, woo, wild. Okay, let's see. What are we going to do next? Woo, all right. Right. And she isn't like that anymore. As you can see, it's she's become more serious. She's become sort of just a more reserved version of herself. And it's just like, it's like the the goofy is still there in some instances, but it's not as it's not there as much. Yeah, it's like the prize fighter in the eighth round, right? You're not you're not running headlong in punches at that point. You're 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 making some thoughts. I want to take this in in an odd direction as we're still talking about Thelema. I want to talk about the John Schooley breakout moment where all of the planning and the the growth that Scott is putting into his character, uh, you know, as we move through uh, Italy and he's slowly building these seeds, it explodes into the circle of protection. And this guy who was something completely different at the beginning, now at the end of essentially the third leg is something completely, at least in my eyes, something completely different than he was. I mean, Scott, what is your feeling of that you were in a completely different place there than the rest of us, right? You're what you were doing was so different than the rest of us. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it's, it's interesting because so much of um, so much of John Schooley was built from the adventure that never got published in the, uh, in the, uh, the Gertrude Dobbs, the, the voyage of the Gertrude Dobbs and that seed of his connection to to the supernatural to his connection to the world beyond was so strongly connected in that adventure um and then it it, it kind of just always lingered there in the background and and he started started sort of intellectualizing it and that's the bent that he had taken whether he was working with the the cobalt club or whatever you know he he intellectualized this thing this experience that he had and and approached it from that sort of analytical research uh, point of view, uh, both as a professor and then in his travels, early travels with the Cobalt Club, um, never really kind of like cracking the surface. Um, this campaign is what led him, you know, started really kind of forcing him to to start delving deeper and yeah. started uh, started revealing more of those elements to him. And then the tantalization of that um, just started drawing him in. You know, it's it's interesting because I've always looked at Thelema as a as a seminal moment for John, but um, it's really hard to see it that way when it's so impactful uh, on on another character like like uh, like Faye. That's true, um, but if, if you focus on him and you think about it, and then you look at Schooley, how that ends down the road, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they were there. The markers were there. This was the first step. He lights a flare. Hey, I'm heading sideways down this cliff. And nobody really gets it or stops it. You know, Mel, you want to add? I was just going to say, as the person who had, you know, that had like a huge impact on me, it's, 
I mean, you were the saving grace of that episode. If you weren't there, yeah. like, I mean, it's, you know, Crowley was there. He was in shadow form, but knowing him, he probably could have taken Faye. And you're the reason. Yeah, that that schooly moment was was huge, and it, and and it served to push him even further. Like he was dabbling, and then as effective as his spell came off, because I, I I I'm not I might be misremembering, but I think he rolled a critical, and so it was just like right. like like Bruno yeah. just like pumped up the strength of his spell, um, and then that just drew like I'm thinking about this and thinking back on it, and I'm like, oh, John's all in now. He is just like he's pushed all of his right. chips into the middle. He's yeah. uh, he's pot invested. He's like I am all in. Um, so like every moment, like his point of view from that point forward, everything he was looking at was is this something that can further my knowledge? So I want to close out Thelema with something that really changes the story dramatically from there forward, and that's all Lauren's character, and that is the shooting. Of Faye's father. I don't want to talk, you know, about the hate and stuff that we went through because we've we've gone through that. But it dramatically changes the relationship moving forward of those two people. What was sort of a thickest thieves becomes this push me pull you of I love you, get the f away from me. You know, I trust you, and then get away from me again. And and in a weird way, to me, the wall that Catherine constantly has up, and it gets thicker and thinner and thicker and thinner. This wall. All of a sudden, it's as if Faye has her own wall, and they're like smacking walls against each other, but only periodically, not constantly. So what are your thoughts on that, Lauren? I, I think you hit the nail right on its proverbial head. It's that action, it drove a complete wedge between the two of them, something that could never be repaired. But it's also, I think, a testament to, there is nothing that I'm not willing to do for you. The decision to, it it like gives me chills that, because I remember the words, it gives me chills that Mel remembered the exact line, do I have a clear shot on Dawson? Like, it just gives me chills. Um, my only thought was, God, if it was me, I would have wanted someone to do this. Please, somebody just stop making it hurt. There goes the empathy thing again. And I'm like, this has the potential to really upset like, not only, like, my best friend in, like, real life, but, like, this other player, <laughs> this character, it's like, what is this going to do? I I don't care. I have to do it. And ever since, there is pushback that wasn't there before between Faye and Catherine, because there should be. Like, yes, a, yeah, an unspeakable thing occurred. And right. if there was anything but this this particular consequence of now, it's like, I love you, we're comrades, but I don't know right. how to feel about you all the time. Right. It wouldn't make sense if that wasn't there. Well, it makes it feel much more real, right? Because yeah. in real life, there are consequences. And when we make mistakes or we're caught in lies or we do things to people that we generally mm -hmm. care about, it's hard to make up those things and it takes time. So our final thoughts on this thing we're going to give to Faye Dawson's own Mel. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, you know, and when when you had said that line, you know, it's like, do I have a clear shot on Dawson? It's just, I remember just feeling like the chills because I'm like, oh, great, here it comes. You know, it's like, I already talked about like the loss, but I just remember, you know, some of the lines I threw out, it's like, if you kill my father, I will never forgive you. Do you hear me? I will never forgive you. Just yeah. trying to reason with you. And it's, you know, that's just Faye speaking. Like Mel understood that that was the best thing, but Faye isn't thinking clearly. And I just remember playing it where it's like, I think like, I just, you know, 
because Sid was holding me down during that because I threatened to uh, punch Crowley, you know, as as I do. And he kind of just like hooked onto the back of my shirt, like, like, you sweet girl going nowhere. So it's, you know, just having like that. And I think that it's, you know, everyone kind of like came together to just sort of like check on me and make sure that I was okay. And um, I remember, you know, it's after after Thalema and when we went to the first couple days in Nepal, I remember saying that, you know, as characters to kind of bridge this, you know, gap between us, because I, I imagined, you know, during like the rest of like the convalescing, it's we're probably not speaking because yeah. what what is there to say? How do you even start that? So that's why when we were in Nepal, I'm like, okay, I think enough time has passed. We need to at least get back to a point where we can be on a team together. And we went day drinking in Nepal and we had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're going to move into May, which is Nepal. We arrive in Kathmandu and we all too soon lose Abilene Hammond, our fearless vigilante, who we'd all come to love by that point. Her death takes off not only a series of intensive events, but it leads to the additional character losses of John Schooley and Sid Poulter. Uh, in what initially appeared to be the lighter leg of the journey, I have to admit, say, <laughs> um, at least I thought it was going to be, before those cascading events overtook us in that avalanche in Nepal, what were your feelings and what were your thoughts on that leg of the journey and how they would go? And I really want to ask Kay first because her character dies first and in the beginning it did feel light. It did feel like a fresh start. So what are your feelings on all that, Kay? I did not take the decision to kill Aveline lightly. Um, when it literally was kind of a weird situation of I just was the one that decided to stay behind that day I think Kath was Catherine was that the episode you were also helping the mom with her fertility issues or something like I have no idea like I thought that's yes. where you were yeah, yeah. that's where they were sure yeah yeah and then John and Sid were off doing their thing I think during a festival s- season and I just was like you know what I'm trying to get every single piece of information and then that is when the sh- like our guides got attacked and seeing those men get shot i knew then that aveline wasn't leaving even when our dm was like oh by the way if you make a good roll you can get out the back door even with your hands bound they did yeah. not tie your feet you can run and i'm like she's not moving she is yeah. not moving <laughs> like this is in a situation where i can justify this person who laid down her life every single time she knew her the risks of her job she knew what she was doing and it was it was a death sentence from the get-go of when they were executing these poor people who did nothing wrong they were just their crime was helping her and our, our team she couldn't let that slide and i cannot tell you how incredible as a person listening to how the reaction and i'm not i'm I say this with complete admiration for you guys as art role players and everything. Finding her, that was tough. Like I can't, I feel I yeah, do not is. envy yeah. you guys for finding her that way, knowing what she did and listening to it. That was I mean Well who found her? It was Scott, wasn't it? Scott that found her? Schooly, I think, was the first one. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then I, I, I tried to stop Catherine and Faye from coming in. Yeah, Ella but walked so, in so... behind him and that's why the whole confusion started. Right. Who is this stranger? So that... Be- but that's so bizarre, him. right? So you have yeah. like one moment your character is dying 
and, and I remember just very prophetically thinking like, she's not, she's not going to back down. This isn't going to go well. I didn't think she was going to die, but I remember thinking this was a very powerful moment for not only your character, but also for the keeper, because it was a moment where I think a weaker keeper would have maybe let things slide, right? Would have maybe done things easier. Maybe, well, you know, it's just a wishy-washy, fun time Yeah, for like everybody. Mueller would have but knocked her out event, with the back of a gun. Yes, like, oh. yeah, forcing that event, killing her. It was, again, another sledgehammer. It was, it was another reason that I think makes the story so powerful and another reason that I can listen to it and listen to it as a listener and enjoy the story and almost forget that I'm in it. So, Scott, since you were the first one that found her, let's talk about that. In my opinion, uh, you know, and it's maybe this is too bold a statement, but I think that that was by far for me and by my perspective, everyone, the most emotional role playing that we've had in the entire campaign. And real, like, like I could feel it. I could feel it coming from everybody else. I could feel it in myself. It was, um, man, it was, that was some heavy, heavy stuff. Yeah. God, I just keep remembering saying, you don't want this. You don't want this. You don't want this. Like trying to stop them from going in. And I just wanted so, it it felt, you're right. It felt so real. And I remember in the back of my head, I'm like, how fucked up is this? That a person kills their character in one second. And then literally in the next second comes in as a different character, not and doesn't just play into the scene, but has to witness the death of her previous character. It was that was twisted, really twisted. I'm a twisted person. <laughs> in, in hindsight, Kayla, that 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 must have been so hard. I don't know how you did it, dude. Um, yeah. I I gotta tell you, it was a fever dream doing Ella's reading because. At, like I thought it would be a great segue to kind of describe what had happened, give you guys a bit of closure, because I knew the scene so well, because obviously I lived it, but oh my god, it was so weird, and then to have the distrust, which clearly was going to happen because you guys just went through such a traumatic loss of a player and like a companion, like I was playing it like I didn't know her because I didn't, but you guys were had no clue who I was or why I was even there. I was just some stranger and having all these strange things happen simultaneously, of course you're not going to trust her. And I love that back yeah, and forth yeah. between Sid and Ella where you were like pointing a gun at her. Like oh, she yeah. was afraid. Like she didn't was afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was so fun. I don't know how much of that was me and how much of the Sid. I didn't want to know her because I just bought into Aveline. I just started to care deeply about Aveline mm-hmm. and then she dies. And you know, it's so funny. You forget that it's the same person. It's Kay and it's Kay. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, get out of my face. I don't want to know who you are. You know, it was, it was so visceral. It was too I much think, of a coincidence you know? for you not to be suspicious. Like, you know, I think what's interesting too, yeah. and I, I think everybody that listens knows this, that Lauren and Kayla are sisters. And so that, colors you don't a lot know, of things now you between know. there. Yeah, if you didn't know, you do know now. And that colors a lot of their interactions in the game because, you know, for anybody that has known them as long as, as many of us have, um, some of those interactions bleed between real life and characters. And then some of them are obviously just characters. But so Lauren, being her real sister and then witnessing coming in on the death of her character, was that just a character? Did that play into it? Was it a, what kind of an experience was that for you as a player? Oh my goodness. Um, I, I will be the first person to say that sometimes my characters get cranky with Kayla's characters for the sole reason 
that we are related. Yeah. <laughs> I I will be the first no person to admit that she admits to it too. Right. Back me yeah. up. Yeah, because okay. we just make such polar opposites, and technically we are opposite every in real life, time. But every time, yeah. I just think on a different wavelength. She thinks on a different wavelength, and it yeah. just happens that way. So yeah, I completely—that's what causes the butting of heads. So that yeah. being said, when we're butting heads, we love one another. But that's typically—that's part of the reason why that happens sometimes. Opposite personalities. But yeah. Totally. <laughs> and the Aveline's death and then having to role play coming in and i i never had a picture in my head of what aveline looked like aveline was kayla so i'm imagining walking in and it was i was crying like i was actually crying and there was this i remember the scene where sid's trying to like prevent Catherine from going in and in that moment i don't think i was lauren i I don't think i was Catherine. sorry i was lauren of get off of me that's my sister and oh my god i'm getting emotional (laughs) i love her so much yeah i I love her so much and it was so hard to do and then she's bringing in this new character who again diametrically opposed to everything that Catherine is about and we just started to like aveline we're starting to trust rip the band-aid take her away here's a weirdo so i want to end out this and i'm gonna have an odd take with um with Mel. So Mel, your character, before we get to Katmandu, just goes through this we talked about this crack me this cracking phase. She starts to break, right? Now, and arguably now where we're at in the story, she is seriously cracked, right? She's struggling through. So to go from Philema to then almost immediately after, we get a chance to laugh, a chance to drink, and then boom somebody dies right away. I mean, how does that play into her brain and how does that play into your brain as as the char- as the person running the character? So I was actually going to say, I think the reason why, I mean, everyone's death or, you know, in John Schooley's case, walk away has hurt really bad, at least from my point of view. It's like, you know, we've we've grown with these characters. These characters have been through so much. I mean, we as a group, we've been gaming for forever now. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just been almost two years that we've been gaming together. So, yeah. you know, it's like, I, I love all of you so dearly and it's just the loss. But I think the reason why Aveline's hurt so bad is because it was the first time in a while that we were all doing great. You know, we get, we get to Nepal and we have that drinking game with the local that drinks oh, yeah, the, the drinking table. Game. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, we're, it's like half of us are just piss drunk <sighs> and John Schooley and Aveline are just like the, the, the yeah. angry babysitters, like just, just stop, drink water and go to bed, just drink water, go to bed and leave me alone. And, you know, it's like, we're all, we're all having like a good time. You know, we take that beautiful group photo together and it's, you know, we just feel it, it feels, I thought, for the first time since like England, like London, that we're all doing good. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was, I was so excited about the climb, like always meeting these other characters that, you know, that give a little bit more breath to Sid. And I was just like, this, this is going to be good. We're on the top of the world. Hell no. Hell no. It just turns out. And then we just get blindsided. And I know that for Faye, it's, she kind of had like a moment and she was thinking like, why it's, why do bad things keep happening? How many bad things can I take until I finally 
crumble? And the answer yeah. is a lot because I'm still going yeah, as of episode I, 72. I, so I think the funny thing, right, is you could say like, why do good, why do bad things happen to good people? But in this case, it's because it makes a hell of a good story. Oh yeah. And I think that that's why it's, you know, Faye talking about like Sid dying and then that speech that I gave John, which we'll probably get into later more. It's like, that's why she's just so impassioned with it. It's like, she yeah. can't keep losing people. That's why she's so protective over Catherine now. It's because- Yeah, it makes sense. It's because it, it's the two of you against the storm, you know, and, and we'll, we'll get into that later, but yeah. re I really do feel at the moment- it's the two of you against the world, and then the three the three new characters are sort of in the orbit. They haven't become family yet. So we we had just become a damn family. We had just gelled, you know, as characters. Now, obviously, we we have all gelled, and I really feel that us as players are have become a family. This is the longest running game I have ever been in because they all devolve and crash, almost like a top spinning out of control. And this is really. This has really been fantastic, and, and, and it was a great way to spend COVID, I have to say. Um, yeah, I mean, if you have to spend COVID somehow, you know, getting, getting to see your, your niece, your goddaughter, um, a guy that I hadn't seen in a long time since I'd been to his game shop, and, and your niece's uh, best friend, I mean, and getting to know all those people. I, for me personally, I thought it was a great way to spend COVID. Let's talk about June. <laughs> June! So many things happen in June. Do we um, have to? Can we just? Yeah. So in my talking with Keeper before before this episode, he described this month as a rocket ship. I think that if it's a rocket ship, it's an exploding rocket ship that doesn't make it out of the atmosphere. We have talked a lot about the events at the lake. We've talked a lot about the death of Sid, about John going. I want to try to look at this in some different ways. Let's start off with two things. Let's start off with this is where the roles turn to garbage for like everybody and where like nobody can catch a break except for I forget one of us had an amazing shot on the cat. I think that might have been Faye. And so. let's talk about the clay pots. The clay pots gets overlooked, I think, because of all of the exploding things that happen in this in this event. But the clay pots were beyond fucking creepy. So um, oh, yeah. we'll let Mel start off with the clay pots. I would rather not, but here we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the clay pot. I'm so glad that a uh, keeper sat back down for this one. Hey, buddy. Um, for I, I don't think we addressed it, but um, the reason why you don't hear our lovely keeper is because he's recovering from illness. Oh yeah, um, yeah. he sounds like a '70s porn star at the moment. Yeah, so um, this is the that's why we're having our fun little. Okay, we got the thumbs up of approval. Yeah, the clay pots sucked. Uh, no offense, Raz. I had a great time. But I was also scared, and we can't overlook that. Um, when we <laughs> – I don't think that there was ever a better line than – I think it was Catherine when she goes, there are people in the pots. Soylent Green, baby. I just heard Soylent Green in my head as soon as she said that. Oh, my yeah. God. The pots are people. The pots are people. And then we had – oh, my God. <laughs> and then we get – we rescue these kids out of them, and then it's the whole thing like, what the hell do we do? We can't just leave them here. They're going to die. But it's like they're already on their way out. And I, that one character moment between Sid and Faye, when Faye's carrying the one kid and she's really struggling, but she's just not giving up because she's dealt with so much loss and there's just so much going on and she's just not giving it up. And then Sid just goes, I think he says, like, the mountain claims the weak or um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Sid goes oh, from God. being like the, 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 the guy that holds us all together to Sid starts to slowly crack. And it's the, the basically says like something to the effect of the mountain takes the week. It takes it at once, regardless of what we want or something like that. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, it's when Faye realizes that the child that she has on her back did die and she's been carrying around a dead, a kid. dead body this yeah. whole time. She just kind of turns to Sid and she goes, you're right. And then she just yeah. turns around. And I think that was really just, you know, Faye just breaking a little bit more. Just, you know, the cracks are just starting to spider a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, Scott, yeah. when we when they first started talking about the clay pots, I know I immediately went, oh, they're sacrifices. Holy Christ, they're sacrificing kids. What were your thoughts? That's exactly what I thought. I thought they were going to be filled with, you know, body parts or some sort of offerings or, you know, and, and was it going to be something that we were going to, you know, we were going to desecrate uh, or, or such? The pots, I still don't have my heads wrapped around it, you know, like. Oh, I love it. It was so the, wrong in every way. I love and, and our guides were angry at us and it was like, we were so confused. It was like, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the wrong thing? Are the guides pissed off at us? Are they hating us? Are they scared? It was it was such a moment of uncertainty emotionally and, and thought process wise that um, it was really brilliant. It just kept me completely off balance i i, I yeah, never knew yeah. what to do or think about them it was they were they were I, perfect i think what's also important too is this is the moment <laughs> i think during this leg of the journey is also the same time that we're like you know what we're just going to use ella to find out everything we want to find out touch yes. this rock thank you touch this dead animal <laughs> yeah. touch the clay thank pot. you touch this so, we had a shiny new toy she's, a, she's not a human she's a wind-up so how did you feel about being treated like a wind-up toy or a, oh. a, a, a dead kid sniffer? Granted, the only defense that I will give you guys is this. She was trying to not fill the shoes, but make up for the fact that you lost someone incredibly important to all of you. So if she could be useful, she's going to do what she does best, and that is touch stuff and tell you the creepy stuff attached to it. <laughs> so... Honestly, I appreciate you guys acknowledging that one, but I was very intrigued by how much I saw the stuff that I could give in that moment. And then the cave after the children with the pots. It technically, it was in conjunction because the kids were freaking out all, by yeah, the cave. Yeah, yeah they were there. Her having oh, all these God, like the connections and starting to realize that you, Sid, had issues that you weren't saying because you had this connection to the cave. Faye also was getting weird vibes off of it. So yeah, she's realizing that you guys are not just ordinary people. This is not an ordinary mission of just whatever it is, whatever ordinary in this Cthulhu verse can be. But honestly, yeah, she really wanted Sid to be go into the cave, right? to all of you. She, well, really she, went, into the, she went into the cave, but he saw the drawing. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a character arc to Sid that didn't get to go to fruition. But the idea was that what happened to Sid all those years ago, that, the, you know, the Cthulhu thing that binds us all, that it was so bad that he basically forgot it on purpose. And so my idea was that it was going to start forcing its way out, sort of slipping out. And so that's his, his gentle, all those issues that he started having were things that the Keeper was playing that may not have related to Sid at all. But for Sid, they were little touchstones that were saying, 
hey, what's that itch in the back of your head? What's that dead space when you sleep where you can't see or hear anything? There, there was all that. I want to I just mention real quick while it was in my head that, you know, as I look back and the way we treated Ella, you know, it, which is just perception, we, we did treat her badly, I think. We didn't, we didn't treat her as one of us. And it made me think of, uh, of Jason Newstead after Cliff Burton died. In oh, Metallica, wow. Yeah. How they just, they treated him like utter garbage yep. because he wasn't Cliff. He was and even standing. though it wasn't his fault, right? They hired him, still treated him like garbage. And it sort of strikes me the same way. And that period of treating her badly sort of ends after we lose leave the lake. So it's a small window of time uh, because I think at some point, either at the end of Nepal or maybe a little after, she was like, enough, stop it. Just cut it out. I'm not your rag doll to be touching stuff. Well, remember, you know, John and her knew each other. So so they had a connection and, and I was excited about that. Um, you know, so excited, like, like, like the, uh, the wonder twins or something, you know, form of water, you know, we were going to like yeah. do all sorts of cool stuff. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. I mean, it was like that decision to come back as Ella and like, Lauren, I'll give you your mic for a minute, but that decision to come back and doing that whole John, it's me. I was really excited to bring this character back. Cause I loved her. Like she gave me like the faith I needed to go back to. Cthulhu in Cairo, to be honest, because one of my campaigns really stank. But, oh, what a time. Sorry, that was my fault. <laughs> what, the campaign stinking? Or t- <laughs> no, the, the it was it was um when my character, when I sacrificed myself, you announced very loudly that you were retiring <laughs> oh, from yeah, Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. And you were never yeah. going to play again. Yeah. And Ella was yeah, my callback. That, that, was, that was a great ending. And it's a shame that, that, that we didn't record that because that was a, a very tragic oh, yeah. but really, really prophetic ending to that story. Well, maybe I'll recreate it in this one. We'll see what happens. So before we move off of this, and there's, there's a whole lot that we leave here. There's a whole lot that happened on that mountain. I want to get Lauren's thoughts on the clay pots, because Lauren was really, I think, the most vocal person about those clay pots. It was almost, as I recall, impossible to shut her up about the clay pots. So what were your thoughts on that? Listen, listen. The Aveline's death really kind of... The events post-Venice with the kids and Aveline's death immediately after, that was a turning point for Catherine, where it's like, oh my god, this this woman, this person that I was beginning to call friend reminded me that, you know, I I am here to help people. Like, we can't just mission, mission, mission. If If there's a benefit that we can provide, like, if we can save people's lives, if we can help other people, like, that's something that's important. Yeah, yeah. And having the people in the pots be children right away, it was, oh, Aveline's not here to be an advocate for these little guys. I have to do it. And Catherine's thinking has always been, I'm either completely okay with this or I'm not okay with this. And everyone should think the same way I do because I consider myself to be incredibly rational and I'm the barometer for what's, for what's cool. <laughs> and the fact that other people- happy. Exactly. is happy. Like the fact that other people weren't more concerned or freaking out was tripping her up. Well, I like, think people freak out in different ways, fairly. It, yeah, to be fair, and that's like, part of it. Um, I think what more what I meant by that, not necessarily like all of us, like the players were very bothered by these children oh, yeah. in the pots. Oh, yeah. It was pots, the guides, was... all yeah. the guides. Like, yeah. who are you? Why are we yeah, not like leave them? Leave them there. Leave them there. I... And yeah, I love really, that because there's that, there's that juxtaposition between yeah. human and, and, and someone who is inhuman because of their fears and their beliefs. 
right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that they were necessarily evil or inhuman, but they came off that way because oh, they were yeah. so invested in their beliefs that they were like, no, 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 that's leave them. Just like, you know, they kept saying like, you know, that's not what we're here for. That's not what it reminds me of like, you know, I don't see the bum on the sidewalk. I can't give him money. I don't see him. Let's just keep walking. It's so horrible that you just, you try to turn you back to it. That's kind of how I saw that. So I want to, at the end of Nepal, right? It, it's almost like this gigantic landslide out towards towards the end of, of that. You know, we lose Aveline in the beginning. We lose Sid. John walks away. Then we're left with the three women, right? You have two women who are completely tight. You have the third woman who's the who's the odd woman out. And um, we have a series of all woman adventures. It's like ladies night. And it's its own. It's definitely a completely different flavor when it's when it's pure estrogen. It was a completely different thing. So we'll start with Kayla this time. What was your thought on that time of just being women and also being the odd person out trying to build into into the team? Well, since we're not talking about the uh, the exit of Sid and John, um, about and we're going to the female side of the adventure, she had a moment with like Mueller on the radio that I thought gave her some points and shits because she told yeah. him to go f himself, <laughs> and I this is now headcanon for me. Ella kind of left Nepal with a piece of Aveline's grit in her body. Because she had to connect with her freshly dead spirit, like, and watch her murder. So now she's got a bit of that vengeance. But that, those days where it was just the three, she still felt so off kilter because John was her connection. She really didn't understand why he had to leave. She didn't understand that mentality of, right, he's right. now so broken and he feels so responsible that he, this, cannot continue and i respect that as a player and i understand it from kayla's perspective but ella at the time she's like just get on the damn plane you idiot i've already lost sure sure. well i've already seen a murder and i've seen somebody give themselves up because we could not get any good roles on the climb down that was awful shit yeah Mm -hmm. but i think in a lot of ways too for ella as far as i saw it it you know uh john was her plus one at the group, you know, so John was her road into the group. Yeah, John was, was the one him. that would say like, she's okay. She's one of us. She'll be okay. But John's not okay. John walks away. John's gone. You know, uh, John looks into the void and although initially goes, it's awesome, looks further into the void and really sees the true madness, I think, and walks away as part of it. Um, I think that the other thing that, that this time period is, is this is the bridge between the tragedies in Nepal and where we where we go into um, into Russia, and I think that there are a, a couple of things that happen here that are really important for Faye Dawson, right? Faye Dawson in in plays Turnabout is fair play, and and she does some she does some rather rash behavior that is probably even above what some of us would have thought Faye would have done, um, and that is essentially her bridge from the tragedy to the next tragedy is yet another tragedy. So what is your take on that, Mel? Queen of Tragedies. I, that is my new title. Um, <laughs> Lauren and I, well, Catherine and Faye, and then Lauren and I outside of the game have always butted heads on Matthew. 
you know, I know it's something that Lauren has always, it's something that's haunted her ever since. Don't flip me off. That's rude. I just want every, I just want the listeners to know that Lauren flipped me off. So as you can see, there's still animosity here. Um, And I know that in character and, you know, that moment it's Catherine and Faye had one of their worst fights. Catherine basically lashes out at her and was like, I know that this is your way of getting back at me for your dad. And that's not right. And Faye was just so, because that isn't what it was at all. And if, and it hurt that Catherine thought that that's what all of this was. But the reason why Faye had done it, the reason why she had acted so rashly is because it it was just, there was just so much loss. I mean, we had just lost Sid in a horrible, horrible way. Aveline sacrificed herself and John Schooley just walked away. It was, there were only two original members left. And here was Matthew coming in saying, let's go Catherine. And Catherine was considering it. and. The way that I thought about it was there's no way that Matthew is just going to leave and not take Catherine with him. He is either going to steal her away in the night or Matthew is going to attack me and then take her. That He had that bodyguard. It was so Faye acted rashly. I mean, Faye's impulsive. That's one of her main things is, you know, she's loyal. She's curious, but she's impulsive. She doesn't think sometimes. And in that moment, the only thing that was going through my head was... I have to protect Catherine. I have to protect what's yeah. left of this group. That's interesting, right? So that you, yeah, you've got, so you have this, you're protecting her, but it, it's almost like Catherine is suffering that horrible relationship where things are just garbage and yet you can't let that person who's so toxic to you go. And so I want to play against that a little bit too. So while you were, so while your character, uh, Mel, is just seeing these, these levels of devastation, this in my mind, this bridge for Catherine is another step towards madness because she has never dealt with really that I felt as a player or a character really dealt with the Matthew thing. Cause there was just no time. So much happened so quickly, right? There was no time to sit and reflect and go, well, that sucked. And then all of a sudden, so then you have the death of Aveline, you have the death of Sid, you have John walking away. There's all of this insanity that happened so quickly if you think about it and then her bridge is more loss more damage that she then says i'll swallow that too and and i'll just and she's slowly starting to change her like you can only take so much until you start changing as a person so what is your take on that oh i from the minute that the matthew situation where like Faye shot at him and it's like, whoa, what are you doing? We pulled Ella in. That whole situation with, and it ended with Catherine killing him. I regret that. The character will regret that for the rest of her life. I, to this day, I question whether that was in character or not to do. It, the way that I was trying to think about it is like, you're right. You, 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 you touched on it, Joel. It, it's a toxic person that like you never got out of your head. Yeah. And math, the idea of Matthew for Catherine was built into her backstory. I had no idea he was this mastermind and, you know, underworld leader. I didn't know, obviously. But from, from the character's conception, the idea of 
Matthew, the the fiance who died, it was about an ideal, a life that could have been led, right. that was taken from me. Right. And then right. That, even the, if it wasn't yeah. realistic in her head, it was. Exactly. Seeing the the actual representation of like the physical representation of, okay, this is the life I could have lived. You represent all these things that I don't have now. My life is crazy. It's because yeah. of you. Da, 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 da. Like one thing stacked on top of another. And it was just too much. The last thing I want to talk about yeah. in this bridge is this sense of loss, right? And I don't know yeah. if Scott feels this, but this is a period of time where I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I come back into the story. I don't know if the keeper wants me to come back in, if the team wants, if I exit at this point, I'm losing a character that I had put a lot of time in that I loved. I really had grown, but I'd had serious chats with the keeper about saying like, this is the right thing to do. This is the right play. And um, Scott, what was your feeling as a player being in that situation of they're still going on, the adventure's going on, but you're not part of it. And there's a sort of waiting. You're sort of in this waiting period of, Will I come back? When do I come back? How do I come back? How does that work? Building the new character. How was that for you? I think one of the hallmarks of this campaign is, um, and this isn't me sucking up, by the way, but one of the hallmarks of this campaign is is I've got total faith in the Keeper. It just is, you know, everything that Raz has done, everything that he has written, everything that he has put in front of us, the stories as they've woven together and... Um, you know, tendrils have pulled apart and congealed, and he has been so respectful and um, and supportive of us as players to add um, ourselves to that that same fabric that he's weaving. You know, I felt horrible. Like Raz and I had a few conversations where I'm just like, I, you know, and he kept saying, "You got to do what you feel is right," and I'm completely supportive of that. Um, and I, you know, that was my, I'm like, I can't do this, but I can't, I can't get my head around anything else to do. Um, and he was totally supportive. And, and then he's like, you know what, we're, you know, I, I've said in the past, I've always had like in the back of my head, some other story, you know, kind of things knocking around. And I had an idea and we started talking about that and I had a complete, it was just, um, my only thing was I was sad to be missing out, you know, but, um, yeah, you know, yeah. but, uh, but, Absolutely. but, but knew that that. You know, it was going to come around and there would be a I, I I really like how the keeper, how keeper brought you and I both in how it there, yeah. you know, there was um there was a patience to it. And um and in a in a, a way that just really made it natural and and, uh, you know, productive and just kind of seemed to fall naturally in place. Yeah, I know. I know when he he and I talked about next steps and it's funny he he and i talked about your conversations and, and about um and i'm like he can't walk away he can't it's just like there's this, this crazy story this this descent into madness and i was just like this could really go places and he's like right and this could really be hell to portray and to be in a group and to be in that situation and and i understood that and i i we also talked about how we would come back and i said you know and for me I said, I don't want to come right back. I mean, I, I missed seeing I missed seeing everybody. I missed doing all of it. And I felt horrible not being part of that, you know. But at the same time, I wanted it so badly to feel so organic and to be right. And I wanted to be whatever character came 
to be a combination of something that would dovetail well and would be helpful because that has always been my goal. Even when I created Sydney was I wanted to create a character that wasn't necessarily the main guy, but that could help others. You know, I think maybe that's part of being a gamer for the, the bulk of my life is that it's cool to see other generations of gamers come on and that passion for, for this type of gaming. And, um, yeah, I, I think it was um, it was such an awkward thing for us, right? As as outliers, yeah. To you know, it's it's not only just all women, but we're like not part of it. It's like you know, you're looking in the window, you know. Well, and it's you know, I said earlier to Lauren about all of us feel so invested and completely free and connected to to really play these characters true, you know. And I the worst thing about John was it was right on the heels of Sid. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like here is just horrible tragedy, but also yeah. heroic action of SIDS. And and I felt I felt horrible. Like, how can how can one follow the other or should follow the other? Yeah. Um, but you know, it made sense. It, it made total it, sense. Right. Because it's you're really like... interesting what you say, Joel, though. You haven't you were talking about the conversation you're having with Bruno. And you know what's funny about kind of dovetailing to what you said there. If John had been, if it had been three months later, John probably would have been fine with it. <laughs> yeah, it would have been like it would have been like, boy, the ends justify the means. Boy, that's, that's such great. a tragedy. But yeah, uh, but yeah. sometimes you got to break a few eggs when you make an omelet. You know, he well, would have been... <laughs> he would have had months of gaining more power and more months of reassuring, right, of building himself up. Yep. I think the timing was so that he he blossomed like an atomic bomb in that moment. And so yeah. while I struggled, while you and I were both working at our ends to create these new characters, now that I look back, it makes total sense, not only that he exited, but when he exited and how he exited. Because after that bomb explodes, what is left, really? You know what I mean? You would be kind of completely broken, right? You know, And you'd have to follow the dark path somewhere else. I mean, and it's so very pulpy, right? wanders off you can almost see if it's a comic you can almost see like the dark silhouette walking (laughs) off into the snow as as the plane takes off that sort of thing you know yep so let's let's move into august let's not let's not stay in nepal any longer let's uh let's move into august august brings us russia it brings us yes the interrogation center at the og pu was (laughs) it was a classic cairo where the team was trying hard to keep themselves and their stories together. But as usual, something always fouls it up. What was going through your minds as you struggled to get through that, those moments of trying to gain traction, hit the ground running, and then there's almost this feeling of running in mud to, to that time frame. We'll start with Lauren on this one. For all of the like creepy, weird... Cthulian horror that our esteemed keeper has provided for us in the other chapters. Russia made me so uncomfortable right from the get-go because it's complete powerlessness. And I'm trying to run in a treadmill, but I can't get my feet under me. I don't know the speed. I don't know the language. And I don't want to trip because if I trip, I'm going to, they're going to put a black bag over my head and I'm going to die and I'm never going to be seen again. That's the whole feel of Russia, and especially that interrogation where Catherine kind of retreated into her Catherine-ness 
which I, I don't know, works for Russia. Like simple one word answers, give nothing away, no emotion, <laughs> just try to keep it together, bitch. <laughs> like gray outfits, lots of buttons. Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, Kayla, what were your thoughts as we go on here? Because now we're another leg, the beginning of another adventure. Elle is building in. She's starting She's starting to, her weirdness is starting to gel. They're starting to see Ella as one thing, which we know may not be who she really is. But the group is going, okay, well, we, she was a punch doll to begin with. We kind of think she's this quirky girl now. How were you feeling during all of this? Russia was a time for me to really get into the origins of what Ella was in like the first game that we played with her that was off recording. It's it's a lost season that we all talk about, but we can never reachieve because it was that crazy. But Ella's motto, and I don't know if I it's in any of the recordings, but people will overlook the fool than the wise one. She can kind of fade into the background as like, oh, I'm going to play flighty. I'm going to really up this quirk of mine where people think that I'm just kooky and I can watch what they do. And because she felt so out of place, that was her defense of like, oh, I'm just going to really regress into this persona of, oh, look at me. I like shiny things. Oh, I am going to wear a full red gown to a Soviet dinner party. And oh, be amazing. the bell of the ball. Yeah. Like, I'm going to really up this this quirk until I needed. And yeah, she yeah. did start defending herself a little more, saying, like, to, like, other players. Like, I remember Scott asked me the good question of, well, why don't you just touch them and see what they come up with? And I said, yeah. first of all, the RP of it that is now canon would be kind of crazy to do in front of people. Of Like, I'm going to have this crazy vision while these weirdos look at me. That's not okay. And then, obviously, it's not, a, it's not a catch-all answer. So, I enjoyed this part of the adventure, even though we were constantly in fear. But she did have, she did have this weird regression into, I'm going to play the fool to hide what I really am. So, Mel, this I, – I have thought about Russia because uh, obviously we're, we're still in Russia. But it sort of strikes me that this beginning uh, where, where now it's the four, right, and I'm still out at this point, is very much – you know, you think like, okay, well, it's different. It's more calm. We need some calm. But it's calm, but it, it's almost like um, night gallery calm, you know. It's almost like this creepy, completely different – you have a whole – the whole group of people that are acting in uncomfortable and very foreign ways. And, you know, what they're saying is not necessarily what they mean on purpose. And um, what was your take as a player on how Russia was playing off on you against all of the other areas? Like as you grew in, as you grew into the beginning of Russia, like what were you thinking as a player? I was thinking that I really need to, uh, watch what I say, you know, cut back, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe take a little New York out of the girl and, uh, just kind of cruise, maybe not talk at all. Yeah. Um, I just, I remember going into Russia and just feeling just so overwhelmed. Like I, I was just, I think that was the most stressed I've been like trying to figure out how to play things because this is unlike anything that we've ever done before. And at first, you know, it's just the three girls and we're, we're starting to gel with Ella, but I mean, we lost two of our rocks 
I mean, John and Sid were, you know, they they kept everything, you know, together. It was like glue. And now the three ladies are just off and we're trying to navigate this. And it, it was definitely, it wasn't in our areas of expertise. I'll say that. And it's, I'll say you know, we were... for funnies, Ella's not much of a rock. <laughs> so our rocks <laughs> that we lost, not we don't have much left. You're she's kidding. More of, she's more of a mushroom. <laughs> You, I am a mushroom. I make you see hallucinations. Not a pillar of stability? What? Whoa. What are I you know. talking about? I totally oh read her a different way. So yes, thank you. The thing I do not want to miss here, which is really important, is and I did touch on it when I said the four of you, it is the rebirth of Scott back into the group into what I arguably think is a really amazing character. I really, really like Vadim uh, Gavrilov, and, and I think Scott does a phenomenal job. You could not be any polar different. He's not a polar opposite, but just polar different than the previous character. How did it feel, Scott, walking in as a new guy and, and trying to build back into the group? And at the same time that you're the odd guy out, you're the in guy in Russia. So it's like, it's, it's this weird, you know, black and white cookie situation. Well, that that definitely thinks to keep her. That actually made it a lot easier. But oddly enough, um, it uh, it was like um, it was like being new to the group all over again. You know, bringing in a new yeah. character. Um, you know, how's he gonna fit in? All the little butterflies, nervousness, and all of that. Absolutely, like that comfort that had been built um, had to be like refound. It was um, it was an interesting experience, um, and and thankfully the way the story played out like you said him being so so central to the situation that was happening definitely made it easier because you know it, it allowed me to to um to really like play with him and involve him instead of like you know oh you know being on the outskirts he's like right there in the middle um so you, you know it, it's kind of interesting i've I'm sitting here thinking about the early Russian days and such. How much of Russia has been governed by that totally booted fast talk role at the airport? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. was um, like, I remember like that. Just, role. just booted it. It's. I mean, if I had like killed that role, Russia would have been so different. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. That was when um. That I was so really hard kinda... to get that played. Yeah, that really <laughs> sunk in for it. us. Russia, the gulag. Yeah, it could have gone horribly wrong. Horribly I think wrong. that was when. I think we even said it's. Uh, you know, like it's like. Uh, well, I guess these are Gavrilov roles, not schooly roles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the interesting part about that time is that is the backside of the bridge. It really is. Because the next month is September, right? September sees my coming back in, in, in a weird way. Um, it's one word describes the month, Stalin. Stalin, yeah. Russia. Oh, yeah. Just that walrus mustache. You know, I, I keep seeing the hair. The hotel out of time and place in the middle of this crazy Soviet Russia, the over-the-top party event. For me, it was exactly what Scott just said. I felt like I went from this guy who felt so comfortable in a comfy chair that we were all sitting around a fire and I felt like I belonged to this guy who I had. It was it was exactly the same. It was like butterflies. I'm on the playground. I'm walking across the playground. There's the cool kids over there by the jungle gym. 
are they going to like me or am I going to get spitballs thrown at me? And, um, and, it, and it's, and it's also like an awkward, awkward entrance for, for Jack Cavendish. Much harder. Uh, as well. It, it's just so different. It's so different. And he's such a, such a different character um, that. Um, like you were a, you were a person of uh, almost suspicion, you know? Like the people yeah. you were with and who you were. I mean, we were all looking right. at you like, you know, yeah. who is this guy? And it's like, it was right. hard to like, be like, it's Joel. To right. like, and, like and no, no, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's some guy we don't know. You know? Yeah, and he doesn't get it. He's like, no, 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 I'm just here to kill the bear. You know, like <laughs> this guy called me and he said, come on up here. I'm going to pay you, blah, blah, blah. And you're going to kill this bear. And I was like, all right. So That's I'm what trying, I do. <laughs> I'm trying to play it off like this. He's this sort of, you know, upper crust, snotty Brit. Every bad, every bad stereotype of every great British movie that there is, you know, Stuart Granger meets Leslie Howard meets all these other great characters through time. So everybody, and I felt like I walked in and the four of you had already gelled, the party's going, and then you look over and you're like, and, you know, so um, Mel, what was your feeling about the Stalin and that party? That's where we meet Pessoa. You know, what is, what is your take, um, both as a character and as, as the player playing the character, as we go through that really bizarre wonderland there? When we realized that it was Pessoa, my heart dropped to my ass. I was just, I, I just remember thinking, and I, I was like, that's, see, that's another reason why Raz is just such an incredible like keeper and GM because he just pulls these amazing details back from God. Pesso was like, what? Like the first, like first, first episode or second episode. And it's, you know, what a callback. And now it's like coming back. And I just felt very frozen in shock. And I was just trying to figure out how to sort of go about investigating this and being like, Ooh. And that's when we had that really awkward conversation that I regret. Um, I went over there in true Faye Dawson fashion. I, uh, chugged my champagne. I went over there and I was like, hello, I had no other plan was just (laughs) nothing. Um, it was, it was hard. That is the perfect time to push it over to Lauren, who was there when you said, yeah, hello. Yeah. My bad. In your defense, you weren't alone and you didn't bring the best conversationalist with you to talk to, you know, the Portuguese poet. I think I had Vadim on my arm too, because I think in character he was like, I'm I'm just gonna, you know, hold on to one of the ladies' arms. And I think I just dragged him over there. I didn't even tell him. He was just like, Miss Dawson, where are we going? And I'm like, No time. <laughs> <laughs> Must go talk to man. And it it didn't end well. It No. The it, I I concur with the heart dropping to ass stuff like heart, stomach, what have you. It was unnerving. The whole, again, Russia for Catherine, not to repeat the metaphor, but I'm on a treadmill. I can't get my feet. What's going on? I I just, I would like to leave. I'd like to get out of here and get back on mission where it's safe again. Well, Because I don't feel safe. We're not in this point. We're not in the mud, right? It's almost like that scene from Willy Wonka where he opens up and there's this crazy world that these kids released on. We're in this really bizarre party thing and he's dropping these history bombs on us everywhere. Like here's this person that any, anybody that grew up knowing about, you know, living the red scare and, and Soviet union and all this, 
I mean, immediately knew every one of these names. Absolutely. Every one of these names that went off. I'm like, Khrushchev walks in the room. He describes yeah. Khrushchev, and I'm like, it's Khrushchev. Oh yeah, my I know. It's huge. I'm getting out my Khrushchev's on, trading you know? cards. Oh, I got and, my Khrushchev card. <laughs> and then you, then you get the other end of the spectrum. They're like, I, I'm sorry, who? Who? Exactly. And, it, and, it, and it's, yeah. that juxtaposition is, yeah. is like so powerful because there would have been that going on probably then, too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was doing a lot of Googling that session. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think because being the youngest person in the group, let's get Kayla's take on that. Because one, you are wearing the Russian flag, essentially. And I know that what I was thinking when you were describing the dress was I immediately heard the music from The Hunt from Red October. <laughs> I immediately, oh, and I could not get it out of my head. And I thought, she looks smashing, but holy shit, you know? So what What was going through your head and why the red dress? She wanted to make a statement and she definitely got the attention of Stalin. But I think we're all forgetting the best part about that session was he started playing the national anthem when Stalin walked in. Like, yes, he's dropping the history bombs and it was gloriously accurate. But then we heard the anthem. And everyone, I, w- I don't have my cameras on during those episodes, but I knew you guys were like going, ah, freaking oh. out. We yeah, knew it was, what was coming. Mixed, horror. <laughs> mixed of horror, admiration, and just like, wow, he really went that extra mile here. But like oh, that yeah. night. Oh, he pulled out every stop in that party. Every stop of Crazy Land was in that party. That, that night was... was so heavy on the RP scale and just setting up how we're going to do this because literally it did feel like we were on a one-way ticket on a runaway train and we do end up on a train because we got grabbed by this guy who thought we were allies of their cause and it's like oh let's honor you let's let's put you right into the thick of it yeah okay well we can't say no otherwise we're gonna get shot so yay and that's what ella was doing she's like i'm gonna ride this i'm gonna ride this wave I'm going to make a statement and I'm going to make it loud so that nobody well, thinks I'm normal. <laughs> it's like, it's like weird building blocks. You know, like when you're, you're in, in a point in a story and you're like, okay, well, this is a building moment. So these, you know, and I know I personally was feeling like this is the building blocks of Russia, of what Russia is going to become. So you start to think like, okay, so we have to play this way with the party, but no, because that eventually crumbles. Can I share an inner thought about the party? Yes, absolutely. Please do, Scott. So uh, there was a moment when Stalin came into the room and uh, he was heading towards Vadim and Vadim actually spoke to Stalin. I actually rolled dice on my end because Vadim, I'm like 5%, 5% chance that he just goes off and tries to assassinate Stalin right now. Right, because he's oh diametrically God. opposed. Oh, he hates to him. Soviet Russia, he hates right? him. He's like, I would give my life to end this the scourge of the of the motherland. Right. I genuinely don't know what any of us no. would have done had that happened. <laughs> we don't know like, him. I'm like, I we can't do that. <laughs> but, yeah. but then yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would just like end the campaign like, right Volcano. here. Yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm stress sweating just thinking about it and oh. we're not even there anymore. <laughs> I think that we all, okay, I don't know if it's just me. Scott's now confessed to it. There, There's one Jenga block that if it gets yanked, 
We'll just, oh, yeah. like, campaign's gonna end. I'm a TPK, and it. I'm done! This is it! Yeah. Keeper knows what mine is. I'm not gonna <laughs> share it. But, I, you know... I don't know that I have one, honestly. I mean, I oh. have been gaming with him for almost my entire life, and uh, at the risk of, uh, of ass-kissing, the dude is just wickedly clever. Oh, yeah. Wickedly clever, and... And this adventure, I have told him many times, and we have known each other since he was 12 and I was 13, that um, this is like his high watermark for just excellence. I mean, this is just, I'm constantly blown away with the, the way that the story goes on and his ability to roll with how we take left turns and right turns. And that is such a hard thing to do. You know, I mean, uh, many of us have also run our own games. Uh, and that was one of the things that I have always struggled with was you, you set a plan and these little bastards, they hung a left on me. And what do I do now? And, you know, it just really Russia again, great job at like, you think it's going to be one thing. It's, it's not that thing. And it's a completely different type of creepy because it's uncomfortable creepy. Right. So it's not in your face. It's not the skin. Yes. Suit. It's not clay. It's not kids in pots. You know, it, it's not the, uh, the giant snow cat. It's not that stuff. It's a different creepy. It's it's you don't know the language. You have no idea of body language. You have no idea of the social norms, amores. You have you have no idea. You're lost. You're completely lost. Go. It's like really crazy. That's what I was trying to evoke earlier, and I feel you said it much better. Yeah. That's why Russia was so difficult. From the minute we stepped yeah. off the plane, I am on an alien planet. Help. Yeah, and I and I think that I, my guess is that that's what he was looking for, and I think I think he's done it wonderfully. So that takes us to October. So October, technically, October was a hiatus month, right? There was a convention uh, and and a run at Origins. Um, so what I wanted to touch on because there is no turning point other than we are a group of people who are addicted to getting together every week. At least I'm addicted to it, to getting together every week. I look forward to this every week of seeing these crazy people of doing this. It's a chance to get the stress of the real world away and enjoy this. And somebody ripped the rug out from under me right after I joined back into the game. I've got a month of nothing. So my question is, how did each one of us deal with the hiatus? Was it cool for you? Did you find it easy or were you like me where you're like, come on, you SOB, let's get back into this. So we will start this time with Scott. Wow. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I'm like, I was completely fine. Okay, douchebag. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, Scott's fine next. No. <laughs> it was missed. It was definitely missed. You know, it's 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 a um, it's a date on my calendar, and it's been a date on my calendar for for almost two years now. You know, it's um, it, it is uh, it's kind of part of life, to be honest with you. So anytime, uh, anytime that kind of goes astray, it definitely leaves an impact. Yeah, yeah. Kayla, what are your thoughts? I needed it a little bit because I'm a college student, and that hiatus kind of helped me gather my thoughts a little bit so that's fine um i missed you guys like crazy and yeah it it is weird that i've never been in a campaign running this long and we still like each other like (laughs) the longest one i ever ran i started to really resent some people at the end because i'm like guys we've been together this long and you still are making silly decisions but i 
this is a really good group for just on point RP. Great, yeah. interesting turning points in the story by our keeper. Again, no ass kissing, just truth, stating facts. And we all know each other so well that even when our characters are angry, we still want to come back next week. Sure, absolutely. Lauren, what? how did you deal with it? And how did you feel about the break? So the hiatus was really used to examine uh, the workings of the Bardic College, new ideas, revamping some stuff, which I had the the pleasure of working with, with Raz on. So I was like a little idea springboard, if you will. So I will say that playing Catherine, I'm... Forgive me for sounding like a diva. I'm a bit of a method actress. I leave our sessions so pumped and so emotionally drained. I need a nap, okay? I need a cuddle and a nap. So having a few weeks where I didn't have to be like like a screaming maniac, it was like, ah, let, let's put Catherine away. Let's go to the spa. It was a respite. Yeah. Yeah. But then I wanted to dive right back in. Yeah. Like yeah. this, is it's become so routine. It's so fun. It's literally how I mark my weekend. Who gets work done on Fridays? We record on Thursdays for context people. So Thursday nights happen. And then, you know, a couple short hours, my weekend begins. It's like the signal of something fun. <laughs> a couple of short hours of my weekend begins. Clearly you don't work in IT. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I Fine art. Everybody who wants to work on a Friday. Um, so Mel, how did you feel about the break? I missed you guys very much. But um, the break, actually, I spent pretty much with I, I pretty much spent it with you guys because i was editing you know i i'm the editor of cthulhu and cairo so i was hard at work um and then but october kind of sucked a little bit because i had had a massive computer failure i had the same computer for 10 years and it finally decided to uh kill itself while mel and i were on vacation and i was uploading i had all the episodes done and it corrupted four episodes of Cthulhu that I had worked on that whole month. I cried, pulled myself together, and I had to get back to work. So um, if there's a life lesson in there, it's uh, make sure you save multiple copies of your work to oh, yeah. multiple different hard drives. Yes. Um, I knew better. However, <laughs> just, yeah. So, but um, <laughs> no, when, when I don't game with you guys, I, I get sad. You know, this is my creative outlet. I love being Faye and the other yeah. part of college shows, like, you know, it's like, I love playing Elisa. I love playing Simona. Like, it's just, it, it's just, it's so much fun. Well, it's a great, it's a great release from reality, right? It's a, it's a break oh, totally. from, from being res the responsible adult thing. So I want to roll right into November. November, November um, is a cool month. November is the train attack. It's, it's, um, it's our first bit of true pulp action in a long while. It's where Jack Cavendish decided to throw his chips in with the team. During the assault is where he tries to get his his buy-in. He says, I'm with you. Um, there's that crazy twist at the end. Um, what were you where were you thinking the story was heading at this point? I guess is, is a good question. So we're on the train before the shit the shit happens. And then obviously the reveal, we we walk out of that thinking like we really don't know what's gonna happen. We're sort of being escorted somewhere. And, and that, I think, is, is fairly obvious that, you know, our minds are sort of swimming with what that's going to be. But as we're going on the train, like, where was your mind at? Because I, I know my mind was at going to hunt the bear. That's what's going to happen. We're just going to go there. I was terribly British. We're just going to go there. We're going to uh, we're going to stiffen that collar and we're going to shoot a bear and we're going to go home. So uh, what what were you thinking 
Kayla, what was your thought of how things were going to go down before they all went sideways? Oh, well, uh, my answer is kind of short. I'm just riding this wave again. Like, Ella at this point is still pretty in the background of the scenario. Like, it isn't until the major twist where we have our, oh, God, what's her name? What's her name? Something. It's not Natasha. Maritza, thank you. Yeah, it wasn't until Maritza came along that, like, I started really pushing character stuff for me. But really, I thought it was the rest of you that had stuff going on. Like, Catherine was making plans, charting. Faye was doing, her like, her thing and still recovering from all the crap that we suffered in Nepal. And then, obviously, we had our two new guys helping get us out of a siege situation but yeah she's literally like i'm still i'm still in la la land (laughs) so lauren you had a lot of rp in this time (laughs) there was a lot of activity slash mega activity slash um almost theater acting at one point (laughs) when you're holding the guy and threatening his life how did you feel about how all that went down that i mean that you can't get much more pulpy than when the shit hits the fan on the train so what were your thoughts on that the the train scenario it talk about a comedy of not a comedy a tragic comedy it was it was one thing after another the the conclusion of the at that point in the story for me we'd it's like okay thank god we got out of russia we're now on the train we're gonna go get the bear meaning we're gonna get the creepy object next the story was linear the train incident and us deciding to go off with uh Vodum's bros basically completely disrupted linearity and things are still up in the air of what are we gonna do yeah so the train i feel like this my comments are like in seven different directions but i agree that it was very pulpy it was a very action heavy moment and i was trying to just bring as much like cinematography as i could oh, to you that did. Scene. Yeah. yeah you definitely did where like <laughs> I I wanted it to be like a moment. I wanted it to be big and bold because we'd had so many days of like the skulldudgery and like the sneaking and everybody behave in Russia. Sure. So Mel, let's talk about pacing because I think Keeper did a really, a really intentional job of keeping us pacing almost like explosion, two, three, explosion, two, four. You know, what was your thought on the pacing of, of that whole event and how that went down? And how how you worked through that. No, I felt a little bit kind of like old Faye was back in the way that, you know, it's like the first time that, you know, it's like, okay, we have to move. Like, you know, are you going to stay here? Are you going to go? And I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm going to go find out if the boys are okay. And then I get there. And then when we get back and I see that Vodum has left the train, I'm just right back after him. It's, you know, I felt like I just needed to keep moving. And I just felt like it was just very intense. And I also had a few moments where I was just... I was really conflicted on what to do because, you know, it's like, okay, great. I made it to the cart, but Vodum's not here. And I hear Catherine screaming and I don't see anyone else. It's like, what what the hell am I going to do? And I kind of thought critically for once. I was, I put on my critical thinking cap and I'm like, okay, we're not going to go guns a blazing. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to center ourselves. We're going to go find Vodum. Vodum has the guns everything's going to be okay. But it, it just felt intense. I think that's just yeah. the best way to put it. I think it felt like Faye was back to Faye. Faye had, Faye was, she was, she was done crying. She was, she was done being upset. Faye was Faye. And I thought that was great. All right. I want to talk what I like to term bromance 
meets Cloak and Dagger, which is Vadim and Jack and the plan uh, for the attack and how that went down. Scott, how did you feel about all that was? And did you get the same vibe I did of like, you know, like uh, one of those Cloak and Dagger on a train events? I did. I, I thought, um, I, you know, it, the, the the train, obviously, very seminal moment. But um, in many ways, I mean, it, it, for, for Vadim, tons of things changed from that moment forward. Um, I love that he and Jack, it's like the camaraderie, you know, what is it? there? You know, there's a saying I'm not thinking of right now, but it's, you know, it's like bonds that are built in battle or, you know, strong and immediate, you know, that type of thing. Right, right. Um, you know, so, so you can, you can grow in a relationship so fast, you know, under, under those circumstances. Um, yeah, well, there's I that think, trust that seemed to sort of the non-spoken trust that seemed to yeah. grow between them. When you've uh, when you've you know shed blood together, so to speak, you know it's um, um, I like it. It's like uh, it's like Jack has immediately been moved to another category for Vodum. Um, yeah, and the nature of the nature of how they interact with each other has just it just immediately immediately shifted. I thought it was a great vehicle a great way for Jack to buy in organically. It felt, it didn't feel sort of pushed. It felt like a man made a choice and that choice just happened to be with these people. And I thought that ended well. So our last month is December. Uh, December is where Ella turns things weird. The mojo gets very strong here and Ella comes alive. She sort of sheds that awkward, quirky teammate persona, persona, um, she drops her cards on the table with her agenda and her supernatural prowess. She's somebody different. She's not who we thought she was. How, what were we thinking as, as that happens? Kayla, I'd love to hear you... them. I'd love to hear everybody else's opinions before I get on. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> All right. So we will not go with the obvious. We will not go, we will not go with Lauren first because Lauren would be the obvious first choice. We will, we will go this time first with May. With uh, with Mel, May, May, Faye and Mel. <laughs> That's um, what a perfect is, shit name. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I shit myself with myself. <laughs> what is your feeling about Ella at this time? Because I know we had talked, uh, Lauren and you and I had talked after one adventure, uh, and we were like, wow, like this, we talk about left turns, right? Yeah, uh, not great, Joel. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the best way that I can describe it is that. Faye felt a little heartbroken in the way that, you know, she, Ella, and Catherine have really bonded since, you know, the events in Nepal. And, you know, we have Jack and Vodham coming in. You know, it felt, the train felt like we were starting to be like a team. You know, at least like for Faye, that's how it felt. Right. It's, you know, you have these two new guys that are backing us up and, you know, protecting each other. Like, that's what we're doing. And now Ella who Faye thought that she knew a little bit better comes out with this secret and she comes out with just her involvement in cults and just Faye, you know, yeah. Faye is still processing what happened with her father and finding out what happened with her mother and, and Crowley's involvement yeah. and all this stuff. She just it pulls feels... it all back, right? It pulls back the supernatural and the craziness. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it's, you know, it's, Faye's starting to question Ella a little bit. It's, you know, Faye knows that Ella wouldn't hurt her, 
but right now it's just a little bit hard to trust Ella. I think that yeah. Ella needs to prove herself a little bit more in the way that it's, you know, and I, I feel bad because like I Kayla, I love you so much and like I've loved Ella and like this has yeah. nothing to do well, with Well, they're you, characters, but it's, right? It's a kid's character growth. Yeah, so. I mean it's just, you know, it's this is something that's gonna follow Faye for a little bit. It's something that is always going to be at the back of her head until it's addressed and until they have like a real serious conversation. You know, it's like you're involved in this and yeah. you're being a little sneaky about it. And we're a team. We have to be honest with each other. So, um, Lauren, when I think of you at this time and, and the left turn that that Kayla takes with her character, Ella Walcott, I immediately think of the feeling that you and I talked about Russia in general, about mud. So the train is we've hit firm ground. We're on terra firma. We're, we're running. We yeah. found our feet. We're going. Then, you know, things get a little odd. We don't really know what's going on. We go to the camps. But then Ella, Ella sort of turns sideways. And um, it seems like everything turns to mud again. Like we're losing our traction. What's going on? You know, how, how does how do you sit with all that? Oh, it it's that's exactly how it feels. Again, I, Catherine and by extension, like, myself or is it the other way around doesn't matter the point is there was linearity we'd gotten away we have a plan sorta yeah and we're going to achieve it and now this complete and utter wild card comes in and throws all these variables and what tentative trust there had been is completely like broken it's i i can't trust you i don't trust your motives now everything that you say what you have been doing, I'm not like I don't know how to take it. Well, and, and, and I, I think in a lot of ways, it's it's the same as Aveline, right? There's the reveal, yeah. and the and the question I find myself thinking is: Is this the reveal, or is yeah. this just another Boom. facet of Ella? Is she all of these things, or is she evolving, or is you know what I mean? It's yeah. I'm not quite sure. I'm really like everybody not sure. like characters have agendas. They do, and. It's it comes from Catherine's deep distrust of magic doesn't only stem from all of the horrible stuff that's happened. Mainly it's I don't understand. It's it's that she doesn't get one why someone would like why does it happen? Like what right. is what is magic? How does it work? And two, why you would willingly involve yourself with something dark, something demonic, something that's clearly not kosher. Well, and you can't justify it in her mind. Right. And I, and I think the, one of the important takeaways of that is we talked about this a little earlier on is our characters sometimes take turns that take us away from trust or away from the comfort of the group. And we have to find creative ways to sort of weave ourselves back in. Right. Yeah. So that the other people can buy it and go, Oh, okay. This was this, because if we don't, we always risk, we risk the, uh, the chance of then sort of making ourselves the odd man out. Right. And so Going with the odd man out theory, there is nobody who is more odd man out at this moment in time in December than Vadim Gavrilov. Vadim is the only guy who is is just he's you know he's he's against all none of this. This is so foreign to him. All of this we're foreign to him. All of this this crazy supernatural stuff is foreign to him. And the only thing that isn't foreign to him is the things that are foreign to us. So how what does Gav, what does Vadim Gavrilov think during all of this, Scott? Vadim is is a uh, is a really sort of bedrock kind of guy. It's simple. His principles are simple and true. It's 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 about the people that you're with. 
and the dedication that you have to your word and your promises. Um, and his promise in this is to see after these three ladies that are coming into Russia and to keep them safe and do whatever they need him to do. Um, he doesn't see, uh, you know, the, the, the history that the three ladies have and the, the issues that they're dealing with to him, you know, Catherine, Faye and Ella are just equal parts. Um, you know, so, so Ella's not the new one, you know, Faye, Faye and Catherine aren't, you know, they don't have their issues, you know, right. so, so they're, a, they're really a clean palette to him. So when he sees these things coming from Ella, um, he's a pretty flexible guy that's, you know, in the nature of his job and the nature of the work that he does, you have to roll with the punches. So right now he's literally compartmentalizing, rolling with the punches and trying to stay true to his mission, which is to protect them, see after them and help them as much as he can. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had talked to Raz about this as well. And I think that Jack and all of this is, is very similar in that there's no history, right? So for, for Jack, he's, he's trying to figure everybody out. He's, he's a hunter. He's essentially a killer who's been a killer since he was a, a small child who was raised to be a killer, a killer of animals to guide to hunts and all this sort of stuff. You know, he's, he's the big game hunter, you know, the big white hunter. And so he sees things slightly differently. So he's looking at who's powerful in the group, who's weak in the group, who can he trust in the group? Who does he have to protect in the group? He's sort of looking at all of these different angles. So with Ella, there's a lack of understanding right now, but at the same time, he does have a background because of, of the Mi'ikenda tribe. He does have a background in uh, you know, witchcraft and things like that. And so he's taking it probably more in stride but still doesn't know her still doesn't know like, you know, is she trustworthy or not? And with that, I will turn it over to Kayla who wanted to go last, who can now tell us how she feels about being, because December is really turns into the focus is really Ella and this blossoming of Ella as a character really just exploding into full colors. So uh, how do you feel about being the center of attention? Uh, Ms. Walcott? Oh, it's, it's incredible, darling. Thank you. I love being the center of attention. Um, but what you said, Joel, kind of struck me as like, is this the big reveal? Kind of is a part of her. All She is all those things. She is quirky. She does have that. It's just who she's had to be. And honestly, when I write a character, I want there to be that piece of unknown that drives the decision making like a lot of her backstory she tried to convey in as clear a cut image as possible she became a cultist to stop things like what happened to her mom again Faye you and her have a very similar backstory you and her have a very similar backstory of she got grabbed because of some it was just dumb luck that her mother got grabbed and then it was also again just crazy dumb luck that this cult conscripted her without knowing who she was and she got into the dark arts and that's how she found her mother had to kill her and thus is now a cult hunter so she knows all these things but is she actually a part of it no she hasn't conveyed that clearly because she was trying the only conveying thought in her head at that point was i have two men who know nothing about me who don't have any reason to trust me. I got to protect them. And then I have these two women who I promised I would help get through this mission right. of vital importance for the world. 
I gotta protect them too. And I know Catherine and Faye are gonna say something. I can maybe convince Jack and Vodham to, like, take it in stride and be cool with it because they don't know everything about what we've been through. But these two, these are gonna be my problems. These, my two ladies are gonna be my problem children. So what she was trying to do was get through it without loss or bloodshed. She wouldn't blow all the work that she's had on the side while also keeping this new untested team together. And her decision to get to do the ritual, again, huge moment for her character. She knew she was going to cause some issues. But at the end of the day, she thought that if she could not control it, but just figure out what it wants, maybe it would save them some steps. Maybe it would save some pain. Unfortunately, our keeper, in his ever-knowing glory, made it even worse. (laughs) What comes out of that scenario makes Ella's actions appear a little bit more nefarious, a little bit more harder to understand. It just doesn't make sense why she would do this, and especially now that it connects to a friend that recently passed. It's so hard. But I don't mind being in this position. I She's going to keep fighting for what she knows and what she can do. She is definitely... I'm trying to not make her, as you said earlier, the ragdoll who's just here to be the all-knowing seeing eye of vo- like voyeurism into the past. So she's trying to stand up for herself. That was them, I think, working their way through pain. I think yeah. You, I think you became a rag doll as a tool for other people working through pain, whether that's right or not. I don't know. But ending tonight, let's talk about uh, the three new characters that have joined the fray this past year. They replaced some beloved characters. Let's see what those players feel about their new personas and their place in the adventure now. And um, we're going to start with Vadim. He's stalwart. He's very helpful to the group but not directly locked into the bigger picture just yet. Are you nervous, Scott, about when that book will finally drop and you'll finally get the big picture? I am. I am. Um, you know, you know, it's interesting. Um, the original characters, you know, Keeper had like these background, um, you know, the individual background stories and adventures that we ran that really helped set up a lot uh, about them. Um, and, um, you know, there's some ideas about Vodham and his that will uh you know th- that can possibly help flesh things out i know what the well is if we're in fact going to be getting to the well um i know you know what what can lie ahead for us but thinking is bottom boy he's a he's a deer in headlights right now um yeah. so um so i think i'm i'm going to try to play that um very much off the cuff uh and take it as it comes hopefully it'll come across as, as it should as a, a person who's just trying to deal with whatever's being thrown at him in whatever uncertain way. And uh, to see how that growth occurs in him as he, as he does that. The next we'll talk about will be Ella Walcott. Uh, she's unique. She seems to be here for a greater purpose. And yet she is so far yet to be fully comprehended uh, as to who she is, what that greater purpose is. Is that good or bad for your character at this point, Kayla? I think right now it's a bad thing because 
Lauren and Faye hit it right on the head. It is a break of trust that she has to get back. There's a lot of unknowns about Ella. But I personally, as a role player, am enjoying this tension. It sounds weird, but I feel like this is only going to work in her favor later. Now that she's... I don't know. I just feel like it's a good... I think it's good for my character itself, but bad overall as the teammate. Not a good move as a team member, but as a character developing and learning how to be involved in something like this. Because again, she's been a solo act of Cult Hunter. I'm hopefully next episode, if there's more conversation about what the next steps are going to be or whatever we have to encounter at the well, it's going to be very obvious that she has a skill set. She needs to use it because we're dealing in that skill set a lot with the magic objects. So right. don't knock on don't knock on the girl. Hopefully is the lesson that will come out later, but still be wary of some stuff that may come up from her past cuz always keepers coming in with those bombshells. But well, like it, it'll it'll certainly be interesting to see how you do that interweave back into the group, how you take those steps that you you took to defend the group but were possibly perceived as breaks in trust and how you weave it back into the group that i think will be really interesting to see how you how you make that work and i know that's going to be very fun to play out so um i would like to do the jack cavendish introduction because you have been running this show and beautifully now our jack he's charming He's maybe a little posh at times, maybe even a little too posh, but really he is our new, possibly consistent protector figure because he is a skilled man of combat. We've seen he can handle himself, and obviously he's got something else going on in the background too because the magic stuff, this stranger is completely taking it in stride. Vadim, okay, he's been around the block. But you, we don't know much about you other than you're here to hunt a bear. So it's going to, I want to know what Jack's feelings are. I, I think what I'm trying to portray with Jack right now is there, there's, you know, I'm trying to portray the multi-levels of it. Of You know, there is that piece of me that wants to play him as the, the cocky, always superior Brit, you know, that, that, that old trope and, um, you know, that has largely gone away, but I love it because of the time period we're playing. It would have been very strong at that period. Um, there's part of that. It would be very easy, I think, to make Jack a really one-dimensional character. He's a shooter. He's a big game hunter. That's sort of the end of the story. So I've built some twists into his character to give him some some murky depth, if, if you will. So... I will be curious and really interested to see how I can bring those to bear to make him more of a three-dimensional character, to make him hopefully as as liked uh, by the group and the listeners as, as Sid was, and hopefully as, as fun to play as Sid was. I think that he is definitely a man for this time in the story. I think that he can be really useful at this time. He's a very different character than Sydney was. It'll be interesting to tell. And yes, I, I I do love the idea of he has a gun in one hand and a teacup in the other. 
you know, and, um, you know, I, I think of uh, the Monty Python movie, The Meaning of Life, with the, uh, the, uh, the Africa, the Africa scene, where the Englishman wakes up, and he's missing a leg, and the guy says, what happened? And he says, don't know, went to bed right as rain, woke up the next morning, one shoe too many. And I, I just think that that perfectly describes the dichotomy that I'm trying to portray with him is just that sort of almost too cool and, and, and too controlled to make sense. Like what will that turn into? Will there be an explosion moment? Will there be a breakdown of that facade? I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's, it's way too early for him. Uh, and uh, you know, typical of me, I will overthink it and I will build an entire history that will hopefully will be fun and entertaining. So that's call of Cthulhu 2021 reviewed in the can and ready to storm into 2022 uh what it will bring and what turns the story will take only the keeper knows and he is not telling thanks to all our listeners and our loyal patrons. if you like our podcast subscribe on your favorite podcasting app if you love our show tell a friend leave a review if you love the show and you want to get more involved become a patreon at patreon.com forward slash the bardic college altogether where we have multiple tiers of memberships, each with its own perks as our way of saying thank you for being part of our Bardic College family. Until next time, keep your familiar close and keep your gun closer. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. You can like, share, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The music you're listening to is Return of the Mummy by the great Kevin McLeod. Join us next time to see where our intrepid explorers find themselves next.